do you not yet understand? That's the question that Jesus poses at the uh, the end of this passage to his disciples. Do you not yet understand? And what I want for us as we read through this passage this morning uh, is to ask, what is it they don't understand? What is it they are missing? And more importantly, what is it that we miss? Not only from this passage as you read through, it's like, am I missing something? Am I in the dark about something? Do I not know something? Or thinking about the life lessons that we are to learn every single day, what is it that I'm missing? Am I too focused on something else? That's what we see the problem here for the disciples was, is their focus was off, but it's not just the disciples who are in trouble. Do they not yet understand? The passage is uh, Mark chapter 8, and I'll begin at verse 1 through 21. Here's God's word. In those days, when again a crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have had nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them uh, have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in a desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these should also be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came, came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. He said, why does this generation Seek a sign. Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And then he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? When we approach a Bible text like this and any other Bible text in our our Bible reading, we always have to be aware of how we read it. You know, are we placing ourselves in the story? If so, who are you? Are you the Pharisee? Are you the disciple? Are you a holy person standing beside Jesus also pointing your finger? Saying, oh, I would have never, I would have never thought that or said that or done that. 
That's most often where I stand as I read Bible texts, especially Old Testament texts. As you read about the people of Israel, like I always, reading about the people of Israel, I think, how could you miss it? How did you not see? How did they screw up again and again and again? Most often as I read the Bible text, that's where I stand, beside the judge. We ought to be careful where we stand in the story. When we miss the opportunity to reflect on the moment, we may miss it. I don't know. I do. I don't know if you relate. But you know, most of the times, the lessons we learn are from hindsight. That's why we can look back at the people of Israel and say, why didn't you get it? How dare you not see? We have the the gift of hindsight from the, the scriptures. Once we're through something, we can normally see how God worked or how he sustained us, or what he's been teaching us, or where he wanted us to go, or who he wanted us to meet. So we have the privilege then in reading his word as having that after the fact, hindsight, learning lessons from within the word. But the firsthand lessons that you and I uh, are being taught by God are more often than not, we are left in the dark. We're in the middle of it. We are left in the dark and we have no understanding. We have no understanding. Just like these disciples, they didn't get it. They saw what was only right in front of them and they missed the point again and again. And that's where we are. Most of the lessons we are learning, we are in the dark. But the reason they're in the dark, there's a variety of reasons we see in this passage for why some of these people are in the dark. Depends on who you are and how you relate to God. But it also depends on your set of temptations. That's going to determine how in the dark you are or why you may not see or why you may not understand and comprehend. Let's look at the passage again closely. So there it gives us uh, this indication that a great crowd had gathered. We already know that from just our reading last week that there was already a crowd that he kind of escaped from to, to heal the man who was deaf. Here this great crowd had gathered and Jesus reveals his heart in verse 2. I have compassion. I feel within me an agony towards these people because they've been with him now three days with nothing to eat. These people are hungry. And it's so sad because, you know, as we discussed about the crowds that would gather to Jesus, most of them are not there gathered to sit and just hear the preaching of God's word. They're not there just being spiritually hungry. That's why they're there after every word of his. Most of the crowd is there because they are seeking a sign. They are seeking some miracle for themselves or for someone else that they can witness. They're there for the show. And they're going to hang on until they see what might satisfy them, what might fulfill them. But indeed, they are um, dedicated. They've been there three days. And Jesus says they're hungry. I have compassion on them. I feel for them. They are here and they're desperate people. Most of these people would be desperate, seeking healing for a loved one, for themselves. They're there. They're waiting. They're waiting in line. Maybe there's 4,000, right? How long is the line to get to Jesus, the healer? How long is that line? All these desperate people with sick family members they're maybe carrying. Can we get to the healer already? They're waiting and waiting days and days with no food. And Jesus feels for them. I have compassion on the crowd because they have nothing to eat. He says, if I send them, verse three, if I send them away hungry, they'll faint on the way because some came from quite far. 
they won't make it home with an empty belly, with, with the nourishment they've lacked. They will not make it home. But then his disciples look at their response. They, they've been through this before. They've been through it before, but yet verse 4 says, How? How? How can one feed these people with the bread here in this desolate place? How is it done? Like We've never seen this before. Are they so thick? This is one of those examples where you're like, you seriously forget, like, this hasn't even been a couple of years that have passed. We don't know the time frame, but it's less than two and a half years from when they saw the last uh, crowd get fed. And yet they're asking, how? How can one or, or how can a person or people feed this crowd in such a desolate place? And of course, we know that Jesus takes broken things, empty things, things that are nothing, and he makes something of them. That's how the world was created. Out of nothing, God created all that we see and know and experience. Out of nothing, he creates. And so Jesus did it before. He knows he can and will do it again. But yet he is testing the disciples. And they're tested. Indeed, they're wondering how, how. So he asks them in verse 5, he throws them a bone. Well, how many loaves do you have? And they, they counted them seven. He directed the crowd again, as he, as he did before, to sit on the ground. He took the seven loaves, and having given thanks for them, he broke them. And he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And a side note in verse 7, they had a few small fish. And he blessed them as well. And um, he had them distributed Verse 8 says that they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces, seven baskets full. It's interesting because as you read a passage like this, you can start to ask a million questions. Well, how is that even possible? How did they get, where did they get the baskets? All the questions that don't really matter, that you might miss the point about, that the disciples might have missed the point about, well, where are we going to, how are we going to, what's going to, and he's thinking, you missed it. You miss the point. Verse 9 tells us there was about 4,000 people. There's likely way more than that. That's likely just counting the men. But again, the disciples were in the dark. And it depends on uh, who you are and how you relate to God. Is the first thing. Well, they were his disciples. They, should they have been in the dark? Their ignorance was um, not warranted. They've seen this before. So who they are is they should know better. They should remember. Though they were in the dark, it was because they had a set of temptations. The temptation was to control. The temptation was to uh, think about their abilities, their limitations. The temptation was to forget God and to look at what's right before them. I don't know if you're anything like me, a human being, but we forget God so often. Even if we've seen him do something time and time and time again, we forget God. We forget that he's able. We forget that he has done and he will do. We forget that he's a promise maker and a promise keeper. We forget God. And there's no excuse for that. We have no excuse. Just like these disciples had no excuse for forgetting God in the flesh standing before them and his ability to do the exact same miracle again. They had no excuse as we have no excuse. 
We have God's word spread before us. We have experience of our lives. We have the lives of other believers around us. There's so many things we have no excuse to not trust God in. But the reason we're in the dark, the reason we do not understand is because of that second thing, the set of temptations that we face. The disciples were, were thinking practically. They were looking at all of the people. They had been so distracted, they forgot. But then there's this second group of people, uh, beginning in verse 10. After they got in the boat, his disciples went uh, to the district of uh, Dalmathua, and the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So these, the Pharisees, are also in the dark, and they have no understanding. It's how they related to God. How do they relate to God? Here it tells us, they came out to test him, to try him. There's only uh, four accounts of that idea of to test Jesus in the, the Gospel of Mark. Number one was Satan. When he tested him in the wilderness, he tried him, he pushed him, he tempted him. And the three other times in the Gospel of Mark is the Pharisees trying to test him, trying to trip him up, trying to screw with Jesus so that he might be exposed. Here again is one of those examples where they come out to test him. It shows us their relation to God. It shows us their relation to Jesus. They just wanted to be right. They didn't care who suffered in the process. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him. They argued and they already had their end goal. They didn't, they didn't want to come out to learn. They, they want to come out to discuss. You know, I'm sure you've met people who said, well, let's just have a discussion. And you know that discussion is they just want to argue with you so they can win, no matter if they're wrong. That's what these Pharisees are. They came out to argue with him. Their hearts were hard within them. But it's interesting because it says they were seeking a sign from heaven. A sign from heaven, not a physical sign. They've heard of the physical earthly signs, but they're also aware that uh, sorcerers and magi magicians can produce signs on earth. Think of the time of Pharaoh, right? And Moses. Some of the things that God did through Moses, the sorcerers were also able to replicate. And so these Pharisees are, are seeking a sign from heaven. Do something above where we know sorcery is not, we've never seen that down before. We've never even heard of that. So do something from heaven, some sort of miracle. Again, they're testing him, right? They're provoking him. They're prodding him. Just do it. They came out to argue with him. Well, can't you? You can't do anything about that cloud. You can't do anything about that sun. They're testing him just like Satan tempted him and tested him in the wilderness. And, and Jesus' response was to sigh deeply. Ah, he's frustrated with them. He's frustrated that they did not come out to learn. They did not come out to, to be humble in spirit and contrite in heart. They didn't come to say, teach us, show us. We've, we've heard, we want to know, we want to discuss, we want to see if we can uh, either understand or agree to disagree. They've come out just to attack. Jesus sighs. He's broken for them. The heart of Jesus is broken for them. And we know that because the people of Jesus are broken from uh, him from forever over people who are lost. Think of the Apostle Paul who said himself that he would be willing to give up his place in heaven, his place in eternity for the sake of the Jews that he knew. He was broken for them. They were so lost. They were so blind. They could not see. 
here Jesus is broken for these people, these Pharisees who just come out for a war. He sighs deeply, and in his spirit, uh, he said, why does this generation seek a sign? And that's a good question, isn't it? Why do they seek a sign? What is a sign going to do? Is that going to prove it to them that he is really God, that he is who he says he is? If they get the sign, well, which sign? It's got to be the right sign. It's got to be a convincing sign. Why do they seek a sign? Why do we seek a sign? I have a friend who I often would try to talk to Christ about, and we'd be sitting at a restaurant. He'd say, well, if Jesus just came, this is the sign he's looking for. If Jesus just came, if God just came and sat here, I'd believe him. i said, you would not. You would not. Here, we have evidence of that case. They saw the signs, and it wasn't sufficient. Jesus asked, why does this generation seek a sign? They seek a sign in order to think that they can put God in a box. Oh, we got him. We understand him. This is what he's capable of and no more. Or this is what he's capable of. He must do that for me again and again. This is what God is, isn't he? They sought a sign. What, is, what signs do our generation seek? If they seek any sign from God, they seek the signs of health, wealth, and prosperity. Because you know that because as soon as things go awry, things go wrong, where do they look? But to God, this is not the expectation we had of you, God. If you exist at all, you should be pleasant to every one of us. There should be no suffering on this earth. They seek a sign of health, wealth, and prosperity. If God is real, they say, then everyone will be happy and healthy. They don't do the math that we all still die. Like, how do people die? Well, you get unhealthy. Well, oh, God can't be real then. They seek a sign that makes no sense. They seek a sign that will not fulfill them, even if they got it. And you know that? Because a healthy 25-year-old with the sign of health and prosperity is not falling head over heels for Jesus. The sign they seek will not satisfy. Jesus is stirred in his heart by this. He knows that the signs people seek are not what they need. So he says at the end of verse 12 there, Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them again. In Matthew's account of this, uh, this example, Matthew goes a little further. In Matthew chapter 16 is where it's recorded. It says the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to him to test him. They asked him to show a sign from heaven. And he answered them. This is, this is great because he's saying, you guys do love signs and you are able to interpret signs. He, he goes on, he says, when it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be a stormy day for the sky is red and threatening. So he says to them, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Like what's right in front of you, you are dull. You can't see. He says, he carries on in Matthew, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Except the sign of Jonah. Now, what does that mean? He's not talking about Jonah because whether or not they rejected it doesn't matter. He's speaking about himself and the resurrection. That's the only sign, he says, that will be given to this generation is the resurrection of Christ. That's the only sufficient sign because it's if you believe in that, then you're saved. If you believe in, in his resurrection, if there's 
no other option for you other than to surrender yourself to what he is and who he is. That's the sign, he says, that will be given. He says in another place in John uh, to the crowd, the crowd speaking to Jesus, and they said to him, well, what sign do you do so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? The, the crowd was looking for a sign. And it's interesting because it says, so that we may see and believe. So their end goal to believe in him is good, but they needed to see in order to believe. So this crowd was like, give us a sign so that we can see. Yes, affirm that you are who you say you are and believe. So they, and then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them. He said, the works of God is to believe in him whom he has sent. The work you must do is believe. So that's why they replied, okay, give us a sign so we can believe. We want to see and believe. It's, it's found in, in John chapter 6, verse 30 to 37. I'm going to read it. So he said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. Uh, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He said to him, they, the crowd said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you uh, that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. He says, you've seen, and yet you still don't believe. So they're asking, how can we, give us another sign then. Give us, give us something else so that we can believe in you. He says, you won't see unless the Father opens your eyes. You won't hear unless he opens your ears. You won't come unless he draws you. But all who come, he says, I'll never cast out. I will never cast them away. They're mine forever. So the Pharisees were in the dark. They were without understanding because it depended on who they are and how they related to God. Well, they related to God in hostility. Hostility, they were hostile against Jesus, so they were unable and unwilling to hear. And it depends on their set of temptations, right? Into how they are in the dark still. Well, their temptation was power and prestige and what they thought appeared to be righteousness and holiness. That was the temptation laid before them, legalism and judgmentalism. And so they were so busy, focused on their own selves and their own appearances, they could not see what was right in front of them. They were blinded by the sin. But it goes beyond that, to beyond the Pharisees. It comes back around to the disciples again in verse 14. It says, now they had forgotten to bring bread. They only had one loaf with them on the boat. And so 15 is interesting because it says, And Jesus cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. We know, obviously in hindsight, seeing this story, we know what he's referring to. 
He's giving them a warning, not about physical bread and not about like, oh, you happen to get some leaven for the Pharisees when we were visiting? Beware of that leaven. It's, it's rotten. We know he's not talking about physical leaven. We know he's not talking about physical bread. He's talking about the leaven, the things that will rot the people from the inside out. The leaven of the Pharisees is legalism and hypocrisy. It's nationalism and materialism, immorality, world, worldliness. That's the leaven. That is, that is infiltrating the Pharisees. And he says, beware of that. Watch out. Keep your eyes open to that. And verse 16, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Again, they can only see four inches in front of their face. They couldn't hear the spiritual lesson. They were so distracted by the material world. They could not get to the matters of the heart. So Jesus comes at them, verse 17, aware of what they're saying, aware of the, the lack of understanding. He says, why are you discussing the fact that you don't have any bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, don't you see? Having ears, don't you hear? And do you not remember? It's interesting because he, he asks a variety of questions that kind of take on the whole man, Right? takes on the whole man from head to toe. Don't you perceive? Don't you understand? And then, don't you see? Don't you hear? Your hearts are hard. Don't you remember? You were there. Your whole self was there to see and witness what I'm doing. But you have hard hearts. The hearts were hardened. And then he goes to kind of test to see if they remember in verses 19 uh, through 20. It says, when I broke the five loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets of broken pieces did we take up? And they said 12. They remembered that fact. They remembered that first time. And then he says, okay, well, we just finished the second great miracle. Do you remember how many? And they said, yeah, that was seven baskets. They remembered. They remembered the facts. They remembered the material. They remembered the bread. They were not going to forget that bread. And then verse 21 says, Jesus said to them, do you not yet understand? Like you, you remember what's in front of you, what you can hold with your hands. You are so limited in your vision. Your hearts are so hard towards the spiritual things that I'm trying to teach you. Do you not yet understand? In Matthew's account of this, he says this, how is it that you, Matthew 16, 11 and 12, how is it that you fail to understand that I don't speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees when they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Ah, we get it. But it's interesting because they remember the historical facts, but they had missed the heart lessons. That's true of you and me so often as well. How many facts can you remember? Even about details about what God did in your life. You might even remember details about an event where you know God was present with you. You can tell all the nitty-gritty details of the situation, but do you remember the heart lessons? Do you remember what God was teaching you in that time? Have you forgotten? Do you not yet understand? This is why spiritual reflection is so important. This is why journaling is important. This is why discussing with a mentor or someone you're discipling is important. What, what God is teaching you every week it's important to do that on a Sunday. Don't just talk about the weather. Don't just talk about work. Talk about what is God teaching you 
And that is a hard question to answer. If someone asks you that after this service today, you, you will feel put on the spot. What is God teaching you if you're not thinking about the matters of the heart? If you're just thinking about, yeah, I can tell you about all the facts of my week and all the material things, all the things in front of me, I can tell you easily. But can you tell me what God's doing in your heart? What he's taught you? What he's showing you about himself? What he's trying to teach you about who you are and how you relate to him? If you belong to Jesus, if you've confessed your sin and, and, and believe that apart from Jesus, you are destined for hell and you believe in him, he's brought you in a relationship, you have had your eyes opened. You have had your ears open to be able to hear him say, I love you eternally. I forgive you forever. You've heard that. Let not those lessons just fall on deaf ears beyond the moment of your salvation. 10 years down the road, 50 years down the road. Do you remember the heart lessons that still remain? And that God is still teaching you through every situation, through the mundane. You might have a mundane week where nothing went on. So you think, what's God teaching you? What's God doing in your heart in those mundane moments or in, in the calm of a storm? What's God teaching you? What are you learning from him? Do you not yet understand? If we're in the dark, maybe it's because we're in the moment. Or maybe it's because we lack wisdom and clarity. That's where God's word and that's where God's people help us. Because we are a forgetful people. We are a people who need constant reminders. Remember when God did this? Remember what you told me? He was teaching you that week? I remember. We need each other for that because we are so so forgetful. Remember, being in the dark and lacking understanding depends on who you are. If you're a Pharisee coming out to attack God, the only reason you want to read the Bible so you can attack things or pick it apart, your heart is hard. You need to repent today. You need to repent. You're invited to believe as he invited. Believe in me. Be forgiven. Trust. And you don't need to see a sign. The sign of the resurrection was sufficient. That's what he said to Thomas, wasn't it? How blessed are those who believe and they yet have not seen. That's true faith. That's true belief. But it depends on who you are. So some are Pharisees, unbelievers. Others are believers. They have had their eyes open. So may God continue to keep our eyes open. May God keep our ears alert, not just to what's in front of our face, not just to the flesh, not just to the things of this earth, but to heavenly mindedness. Set your minds on things above where Christ is seated in the heavenly realms. Make that your prayer if you're caught up in the moment. If you're distracted and you can't answer the question what God's teaching you in your heart about himself, about your sin, about hope, about faith. Question in your heart. And then also be aware of your temptations because being in the dark and lacking understanding depends on your set of temptations. Are you aware of the leaven that is uh, available to you? Are you aware of any earthly distraction that you could be so focused on? Well, God, I just need this need met. If you just put the bread on the table and you're missing it all together, do you not yet understand? We be aware of our temptations so we may bring them to the Lord. God, I'm tempted to just look at this and I need you to help me look beyond it. I need you to help me look through it. I need you to help me just trust, even though I can't see. Trust, even though I can't hear. Trust, even though I can't understand this moment. I do understand you, and I do trust you, and I do see you. 
We need God's help if we're to be those who perceive, if we're to be those to see, if we're to be those who believe. We believe that he has compassion as he showed in this passage. We believe he knows us and he knows our needs. We believe he is able to help at all times. And so we seek his help at all times. We surrender our hearts to him day in, day out. And ultimately, we trust him. Let's pray. Oh God, you are so trustworthy. And you, you are amazing because you are so patient with us. Oh God, when we lack understanding, when we are focused on what's just in front of us, you don't dismiss us. You don't cast us off, but instead you patiently, lovingly shepherd us to see uh, who we are in Christ. To see the, the purpose of everything you bring us to and through for your glory, for our ultimate good and sanctification and make us more like Christ for opportunities to preach and teach others about the gospel of Jesus, the good news that sinners are forgiven fully and finally because he paid it all. May we completely throw our trust in that and invite others to do so. Help us to be those who believe even without seeing at times. Help us to have faith. Help us to be vulnerable to others when we can admit we we are lost or we're in the dark. Would you help us this moment for the rest of our lives to bring you glory through our understanding of the gospel, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.